You're listening to the Future Sense podcast. You can find us online at futuresense.it. I'm curious what you've been busy with lately. Um, I, I know you've mentioned a couple times when I've when I've contacted you that you've been pretty busy. I know there's just a lot going on in the in the world right now. Uh, so yeah, I'm curious what kind of stuff you've been up to. Yeah, there sure is. Um, I've been. I've taken a, a couple of breaks from podcasting this year just because I've had other stuff going on, and some of it's been uh, for my own uh, personal healing work as well. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to get back into a regular podcasting uh, routine, and I'm also just noting what's going on in the world. And you know, if I really feel like there's a strong message that seems to go out, I'm, I'm getting an episode out whenever I can. Uh, so there's been that. Um, I've been doing a lot of back-end work, uh, just done a little bit more of an upgrade on the FutureSense website and a lot of management stuff around the foundation that I run. So I've got a, I think I've mentioned before in podcasts, I've got a, um, a charitable foundation that I run as the executive director. So, uh, you know, part of my time is spent managing that. Uh, and particularly at the moment with COVID and the, the whole economic disruption thing, it's required a little bit more attention than usual. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm working on a, a documentary film with Mitch Schultz. Um, and uh, Mitch, of course, was the director of DMT, The Spirit Molecule, and has been involved in a, a few other great documentaries as well. Uh, Mitch and I are in the early stages of developing a, a documentary series about the Graves' model and about human history and where we are at the moment in the change process and where we're headed in the near future, particularly with the, the leap into second-tier consciousness. So uh, we've got a small team that we're working with. Um, Mitch and uh, Nevi, our, our editor, are based in Austin, Texas, and we're working with uh, Martin Stebbing, who's a, a graphics guy based in Copenhagen. Uh, so we're on Zoom a lot talking about the, the work. And um, it, like I said, it's very early stage. We're working on a sort of a, a trailer slash teaser at the moment, which is just going to give us a bit of a, a visual framework to then uh, start working on a feature length piece, which is going to be the first uh, release. So that we're, that is planned to be like a roughly an hour long uh, looking at a condensed version of um, human evolution from a, a Graves uh, research-based perspective and poking into the future, looking at this uh, unfolding that's going on right at the moment and then the, sh- the big shift into second tier, which I'm expecting to happen on a sort of a, a global scale within the next 15 to 20 years. So um, there's a lot of work to be done there. It's probably going to be you know another year or two before we release anything much but uh, that's part of what I'm working on. And also, um, my partner and I are working on a plant medicine project. So um, I rediscovered my indigenous family roots within the last couple of years. And uh, they'd been lost since my, my grandmother was uh, separated from her mother soon after birth back in 1909. So all of that time we'd lost contact with our indigenous arm of the family and, and we've just reconnected recently. Um, I'm just about to make my third adventure uh, up to, to visit them again up in central Queensland. And we've been guided to do some plant medicine work uh, with local plants on our on our uh, country up there, uh, Gurin Gurin country it's called. So uh, my partner, Julia, she's a quite a plant medicine expert. She lectured for eight years for the Australian Bushflower Essences Organization run by Ian White. 
and uh, she's quite accustomed with uh, the processes of making plant medicines from native flowers. And we're going to head mm. up there, and and hopefully uh, in the next couple of weeks we're going to uh, make our first medicine from growing growing country up there. So we're looking forward to that. Um, so uh, yeah, that, that's kind of the headlines of what I'm working on, and and uh, it's keeping me pretty busy at the moment. That sounds cool. Um, are those plant medicines psychedelic then, or something different? Um, not these ones. Uh, the ones, the native ones that we're working on, are, are not psychoactive uh, in a mm. general sense. Some of them have a you know some mild psychoactivity, but certainly not psychedelic. No, so it's a, a more uh, conventional type of medicine. That sounds well, awesome. When I, I say conventional, it's not really conventional at all because it's a, you know, it's a, a, a very um, spiritually derived essence, uh, a kind of homeopathic in a homeopathic in a way, um, but it's uh, it's certainly not in a psychedelic category. No. So are those um, indigenous plant medicine concoctions, or is it more of her own spin on things? Um, it's. Based on the work of an Australian guy called Ian White, who came from a, quite a lineage of plant medicine makers, and it's working with Australian native flowers, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not really, as far as I know, it's not come from a, a very clear indigenous lineage, but it's working with uh, flowers that were used as medicines for sure um, by yep. the, our indigenous Aboriginals here in Australia. Um, what happened with this particular one that we're going to start working on is um, I had a dream early in the year. It was soon after I came back from overseas and soon after the whole COVID thing was really going down globally. Um, and in the dream, I was up on uh, my traditional country up there, Gurren Gurren country, and my uh, ancestors came to me and took me to a place and showed me these daisies. And they told me that these are medicines. And so I woke up out of the dream and I thought, holy hell, that was very interesting. Um, and uh, I jumped on the web to look at, you know, daisy medicine and what it's used for. And one of the things it can be used for is an antiviral, which seems very appropriate at the moment. And so uh, on my second trip up to um, connect with the family up there earlier this year, uh, my partner Julia and I went walking in a place called Kanya Gorge which is in the western part of the country there. And I found the daisies that I had the dream about. Uh, and uh, we went back and looked them up. And sure enough, it's called an Australian native daisy. Uh, and so um, this time we're going back up to make some medicine from it. And, and uh, I've been working with uh, some of my relatives up there who are, are quite interested in uh, developing further natural medicines from the country up there. Um, so it'll be, it, it may well be, uh, without a doubt, you know, acknowledged as an indigenous medicine once we we've made it, and uh, and my indigenous relatives uh, start <laughs> working with it. Yeah, perfect. So there's so many different things that I've thought about wanting to talk to you about over the past <laughs> since well the last time I talked to you. So I'm trying to like figure out what the best places to start. But um, I'm thinking that I want to mention. Uh, specifically, I know you mentioned the name Future Sense, but I want to let people know right away so they don't have to wait to get to the end of the podcast sure. that you have an awesome show called Future Sense, and they should definitely check it out. Um, the format has seemed to change quite a bit. It used to be a weekly show with uh, co-host Nick Jeans. Now it's sort of just you. It seems to be a bit more, um, I would say, intentional maybe. 
Yeah, yeah so um, right word. as you say, it's uh, it's futuresense.it on the web if people want to go check it out. And uh, it started back in late 2017 as a local radio show here on Bay FM in Byron Bay. And uh, my uh, colleague, Nick Jeans, uh, has been a radio announcer there for years. And so it was really him and I just having a chat about possibilities that gave birth to the show. And then it became a weekly radio show uh, for a couple of years. Uh, and as a weekly radio show, we had to fill two hours, you know, so there was a lot of chit chat and interruptions and songs and all those sorts of things like you get on the radio. Um, and for that reason, I guess it, it wasn't as intentional as it has become now. And then because of the COVID uh, shutdown, the, the radio studios closed for a while and we couldn't record. So then we started recording from uh, my place uh, in the in a similar kind of format, although it wasn't a radio show, so it became a little bit more focused. And then um, I kind of got guided to to uh, go solo with it over the last few months and, and make it fairly uh, short and concise so recently I've just been putting out sort of 15 or 20 minute or 30 minute episodes uh, as opposed to two hours um, and uh, yeah I'm, I'm probably not going to get back to weekly episodes anytime soon but I'll certainly be uh, putting episodes out uh, as often as I can manage in between all the other things that I'm doing you know yeah well it feels to me like it's a little more bang for your buck I would say I mean, I really enjoyed the loose format and the conversational style. I mean, it's just fun to listen to you guys talk for me personally. Yeah. But I think it seems a little bit more purposeful now and more, yeah, I guess very relevant to what's happening right now and sort of like just helping people understand what's going on versus just sort of like, you know, being a little more conversational yeah yeah thanks that's that's good feedback and that's certainly my intention is just to make it as useful as possible and uh you know as you say more bang for for your buck kind of thing yeah so i know you've uh you know in many of your own episodes in your show and when you've been on on my show you've gone over the graves model a million times so i don't want to take up too much time with that but maybe you could just give like the quick elevator pitch just for anybody who Maybe tunes into this for the first time just to give a little context for sure, maybe where sure. we had. Uh, incidentally, I just put up a resources page on futuresense.it and there's a, a quick guide to the layers on there and I'm going to keep adding stuff as I get time uh, to that resources page. But um, the Graves model came from a body of research that began in the early 1950s and went on for about 10 years uh, or thereabouts. And um, Claire Graves was a professor of psychology in upstate New York. He involved a bit over a 1,000 people, 1,065 uh, to be exact, in his field study. And he did all sorts of research uh, in terms of understanding their worldview and their values and their behaviors. Many different kinds of uh, data collection methods, including observation, uh, self-reporting, um, constructed social scenarios uh, where he would observe people's behavior, those sorts of things. And then all of the data that he gathered, he gave to a group of seven peers. And he said to them, without wanting to try and shape their interpretation of the data, he just said, have a look at all of this and see what patterns you can find in it. And what came out of that was uh, absolute gold, in in my opinion, a very, very insightful model, which still uh, stands out in today's world as as a, a unique insight into human nature and there were three main elements to it one is was he 
realize this connection between the complexity of our life conditions and the development or evolution of human consciousness. So human consciousness is quite plastic and adaptive. And depending upon the challenges that we're faced with in everyday life, our consciousness will adapt to operate at certain levels of complexity. And he mapped those uh, levels of complexity out uh, as eight uh, levels, he called them at the time. I'm calling them layers these days because he did explain that they're, they're not freestanding um, versions of consciousness. They're all nested inside each other. So you've got the most simple, basic survival consciousness at the core and then over the top of that is another layer and another layer and another layer and he mapped eight of those um, and those eight layers when you look back at the evolution of our species they conform to hunter-gatherer behavior traditional tribal behavior uh, martial or warlike behavior uh, agricultural era behavior scientific industrial era behavior and then interestingly uh, they go three steps into what is essentially the future when you're talking about the global sort of uh, dominant consciousness at the moment the next one after the scientific industrial being what he called relativistic uh, which it's often called postmodern, um, but it's a very human centric uh, anthropocentric you might say uh, consciousness that's interpreting the, everything on the basis of human experience like how does it feel to you know experience this and how are we connected to nature uh, it's very network centric and it's what is unfolding right now around the world as the scientific industrial structures crumble the next thing that we're seeing rushing into the space is this relativistic mindset very humanistic mindset saying you know we've lost our humanity we've got to return to to considering the human experience and looking after people rather than just thinking about money uh, and we have to network together, we have to collaborate, cooperate. And these layers, uh, Graves identified, they swing between a focus on individuality and a focus on uh, community. So we've been through a very individual era with the scientific industrial layer five, and now we're moving back to the communal focus in layer six. And then beyond layer six, uh, Graves found that there was this, what he called a momentous leap between six and seven. Uh, where the coping capacity of a human just went through the roof. It was, was literally a kind of quantum leap in our capacity to solve problems and make sense of reality. And so he identified a very small number of people back in the 50s and 60s who had made that leap. And so he, he gathered a, a reasonable amount of data on it. Uh, and how many people there are out in the world right now who are operating at that seventh level, which is the first step into the second tier, what he called the second tier of consciousness. I'm not sure, um, but it's, uh, it's an integrative way of understanding reality where for the first time it seems the left and right hemispheres of our brain are working in unison. And the, the first six stages alternating between individuality and community, that is also a reflection of a left brain and right brain focus. And so we've stopped kind of flipping between those two things and all of a sudden we can bring them all together and work together with those two things with the left brain and right brain concepts. And that's part of why we've got this amazing extended capacity in layer seven and beyond. And then layer eight, um, he only found six people who, who exhibited some evidence of that, didn't gather enough data to really say much more than, well, it looks like it's got a, a kind of community focus although it's still integrated uh, and it's very seems very spiritual he said uh, it's very much based around intuition and what we've kind of put together you know since since graves passed away is it seems like this layer eight is going to be 
the layer that brings the next real global stability for us. And don't have a time frame on that, but you know, if I had to guess, I'd say sort of um, 20 plus years from now, probably thereabouts anyway. Um, so uh, that was the second key thing that came out of his work was this layered consciousness pattern. The first being the uh, adaptive relationship with complexity of our life conditions. And then the third thing that came out of his work was an understanding of how the change process in between those layers plays out, what the trajectory looks like. And it's very, very similar to Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. It's kind of like a process of um, feeling like something needs to change, everything falling apart, going through a chaotic um, alchemist's furnace type experience where, you know, we really feel the pressure and that pressure causes us to rewire our brains and change our body chemistry and those sorts of things. A big breakthrough on the back end of that and then a, an integration phase where we sort of greet the world with renewed energy and we're all enthusiastic again and we're seeing the world differently and we want to become stable and, and we come back to a, a place of new stability that's more capable which represents a, a more complex layer of those layers of consciousness so that's kind of like a a nutshell uh explanation yeah that's great so it seems like i mean it's been for people who are maybe um further along in that development it's been pretty obvious that there are some you know there are have been breakdowns of this layer five uh structures for quite some time now but it seems like right now there's very acute um signs of this happening um with the election stuff in the u.s and um covid and all these the polarization and uh, all of this stuff going on, um, like where, how do you feel about where we're at in that process of the transition from, you know, the layer five dominance into this layer six? What I think is that layer six uh, is in some ways not going to be dominant, uh, you know, in the way that layer five was. I mean, layer five was very individually oriented and layer six is very communally oriented. So we shouldn't expect it to show up in the same way. Um, in some respects, it's it's already got a pretty strong hold on the world, though, because it's network centric. And you look at the impact that networks are having on the world right now. So layer six is technology has certainly changed the world so much that layer five, uh, layer five thinking really can't keep up with that it can't manage it and if we look at all the things that are failing right now they're pretty much all the things that were designed before the internet uh, came into existence and the internet has made the world so much more connected and so much more complex that these old systems just can't cope with it you know and i'm i'm constantly laughing at the australian government systems here in australia when they try and introduce computer systems into these old government departments that were mm -hmm. designed before the internet existed and it's just ridiculous the you know the basic mistakes that they're making um, and it's it's a reason why that you know our current forms of government just aren't going to survive this transition and and i guess the us election is a is front and center a, a global stage show of you know those failures right now right before our eyes uh, and in terms of time um, what it looks to me is going to happen is uh, that we're, we're really going to just go through a 
almost like a rolling change process right through the layer six influence. And layer six is is creating certainly a foundation for us to leap off and make this tremendous momentous leap that uh, Graves mentioned into second tier at layer seven. Um, but I think it's going to be hard to kind of to pick, you know, where uh, layer six peaks and and finishes and, and where layer seven uh, really kicks in. Uh, I don't think it's going to be certainly not as clear cut as things like the scientific industrial revolutions, which were very clear markers that showed, okay, these are real, you know, turning points for that shift between the agricultural layer four era and layer five. Um, I think it's going to be harder to sort of spot that. Um, when you look at the length of time that each one of these layers of consciousness has been dominant on the planet, they get shorter and shorter and shorter on a kind of a, a sort of logarithmic or reverse logarithmic scale, I guess. Um, and we can see, looking backwards, that the dominance of the scientific industrial era was, you know, maybe 300 years roughly. The agricultural era, era was dominant for many thousands of years. And so we should expect uh, no more than a decade or two, really, for layer six. Uh, and then we're going to be into um, second tier. And uh, I can see that there's a, a tipping point coming around 2032. There are many, many different sources and, and techniques that are indicating 2032 as a tipping point. And I suspect that will be the tipping point for second tier influence on the planet um, with a form of stability coming in the late 2030s, probably. So right now, I think um, between now and 2032, I think it's going to be a very confusing and chaotic time. Um, because of the nature of layer six, uh, we shouldn't expect things to get too organized. Layer six is very focused on the process of communication, but it tends to often lose sight of concrete outcomes and gets lost in, the, in just wanting to keep communicating and talking about things. And it's, you know, I guess it's kind of like going into a network where it's a flat network and there's no clear uh, delineation of what's um, important except for the the human bond you know and so the one of the that was the key driver of layer six is deep human connection and so layer six is not going to be distracted or attracted by hard evidence uh, of you know in an old scientific method it's going to be uh, attracted and distracted by human relationships and where things feel the best, where the bonds are the deepest, that's where the mm. layer six attention is going to go. So, um, you know, that's going to be very healing for the planet when you look at the damage that's been done over the last hundreds and thousands of years uh, in terms of conflict between peoples. Um, layer six is bringing tremendous peace and healing to that process. Uh, and it's solving a whole bunch of, of other problems by shifting resources around, but it's not going to bring stable global structures that you know they're going to come after the second tier influence really kicks in it, it seems like um so how does that factor in the extreme polarization i mean some of it maybe comes from the fact that there are plenty of people still in you know five dominant and some in six and they're seeing the world completely different but also it seems like even amongst people who might all be sort of more in a six dominant space are still sort of getting sucked into these more tribalized, um, you know, where they're not able to entertain somebody else's perspective. Or I think I've maybe heard 
even you on Future Sense mentioned before that maybe one of the sort of shadow aspects of Layer 6 is uh, sort of accepting everybody except for some specific group or the people who aren't accepting or whatever that might be yeah Uh, maybe you could expand on that a little bit sure yeah i often make a joke about it and say you know we're all really loving people here we treat people right you know not like that guy's over there (laughs) those guys over there (laughs) um so there's this kind of uh there's this kind of contradiction you know in the behavior sometimes where if you get a group of people together who are all layer six it's going to be beautiful you know peaceful and loving and all that kind of thing but as soon as they bump into another layer of consciousness it's like ah here they come um so graves found in his research that in layers one through six which he called the first tier of human consciousness there's an inbuilt rejection factor in each value system associated with a layer so what that means is that people will prefer to be around other people who share the same layer, the same value system as them, and they will automatically reject different values from uh, that come from other layers. So even though layer six is essentially seeking inner peace, it's seeking social peace, and it's seeking to rebalance our connection with nature, uh, which are all good things that the earth needs, they are still rejecting older value systems so and the strongest rejection is usually the value system that that we've just come from so you know at a personal level when we grow through layer five and into layer six then layer five seems like old out of date bad you know and mm-hmm. even to the point of we want to destroy it and we're seeing a lot of that talk on the planet at the moment uh, people who want to just destroy industrialization completely and go back to to living like layer two or something like that and that's you know that's a predictable aspect of layer six so that rejection factor is really the biggest issue that we're seeing uh, and it's the source of all the conflict throughout history is this rejection of other values and not being able to understand people from different value systems uh, or layers the other thing that's coming into play is what's called a values regression so when we go through the change process uh, early on in the change process we realize that okay the way i'm living the values that i'm living through aren't working very well therefore something needs to change i'm not sure what it is though and so of course we can't see into the future and our future values what we do is we look to the past and we go okay maybe if i go back to the way i used to live 10 years ago maybe that'll work again because it worked back then right so we go on this journey backwards through the value systems and what that means at the moment is people who are sort of transitioning into layer six are going backwards to layer four uh, sometimes or or layer um, because they're coming out of five right five isn't working for them and so they'll go back to four which is really rigid authoritarian uh, kind of behavior and we're seeing a lot of that at the moment you know that's that's really being highlighted that layer four authoritarian black and white there's only one way to do things and it's got to be my way or the highway you know um, and for some people, they may even be slipping further back into layer three, which is very warlike uh, and sees everything as a power struggle and wants to fight in order to resolve mm-hmm. problems. So it's a mixture of those things. Firstly, just the, the inbuilt rejection factor, which means that everybody who's popping into layer six at the moment doesn't like layer five or layer four or layer three or layer two or layer one. There are resonances, you know, there are, there are resonances between the communal systems. So layer... 
layer six may resonate with layer four um, in some ways because of the the conformist nature of the communal systems and layer six usually resonates very strongly with layer two which is our traditional sort of indigenous tribal uh, kind of ways of living so you you get uh, a harmonic there between the communal systems um, which also plays out and and there's some result is what we're seeing in the world right now you know a lot of authoritarian kind of stuff getting thrown around a lot of people saying that's wrong we've got to we've got to you know destroy the scientific industrial way of living and and change the whole world to live this way you know which is the layer six way Uh, and and thankfully once we shift into second tier consciousness that rejection factor disappears so one of the things that makes layer, layer 7 so capable is that it can directly sense the frequency of value systems. And so when interacting with another person, uh, a second tier individual can read their frequency and go, okay, this person's coming from here and there's an inherent instinctive understanding of what that means and how I need to communicate with that person, you know. Uh, and yeah. so, and that just changes everything, because all of a sudden we don't want to we don't want to fight people, we don't want to destroy different cultures, we don't want to destroy different value systems, um, <laughs> and yeah, lots more becomes possible. Well, it makes sense because I see so much of the you could call it communication, but it's not really communication uh, per se. It's a, maybe an attempt, but it's mostly arguing or fighting or accusing people of being. Everybody's accusing each other of being Nazis, basically. Yeah. But, um, you know, something I've been kind of thinking about is, uh, and tell me what, how you see this, but so I've made it a point to just out of my own interest, like follow people on social media that have completely opposing viewpoints and just really sort of kind of try to find the best argument for every for each side of an argument, you know, the best evidence for each side of an argument or the most prominent person on each side of some political debate or whatever it might be. And yeah. it's just very interesting to see, you know, sort of bits of truth in each side that each side would probably agree on. But I don't know, I almost get the feeling that um, because of our isolation the extreme amount of isolation that has come from the layer five people are so desperate for feeling to desperate to feel like they're accepted into a certain tribe or a certain group that it almost seems to shut down the ability to sort of think on both sides of the aisle and that they have to sort of subscribe to a certain uh you know a certain um, to certain ideas or thoughts or whatever along the lines of what fits into that group so that they make sure that they're accepted and held in that group just for like a survival aspect of that feeling of belonging. Is that seem accurate? It, It does. It's very accurate. You know, what you said at the end there about that need to conform to fit in, to be accepted is a key driver of, of layer six. So, um, you know, we're looking for deeper human connection and to get that deeper human connection we've got to be accepted into a peer group and so uh, this caused a, a lot of confusion over the years amongst people who've studied 
some of Graves's work and have studied developmental psychology generally, generally, and even Ken Wilber, who's who I who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, has done some amazing work. Even Ken got confused with this, um, and the confusion comes from the fact that most people don't understand that the morality and the value system of layer six is built around this need for deep connection. And so if you just look at the surface level stuff, like what people are, are talking about um, and you know who they're hanging out with or what topics they might be interested in, you don't really tap into that deeper driver. And because people are just chasing the connection, they can change what they're talking about. They can change what they're interested in. They can change who they're hanging out with. And it looks like they're being dishonest. It looks like they're being immoral sometimes. You know, it looks like they're not being honest to their to their morals. But actually, they they are because they're being genuine in terms of that deep need for connection. You know, and that's what they're following. Mm. So it, it can create a when it has created a great amount of confusion around the nature of this particular layer of consciousness. Um, you know, in in the technical world of, of people who study these things. Uh, and you've just got to understand that. You've got to understand that what people are looking for is connection. And in terms of, you know, finding ways of, of convincing people or changing their opinions and those sorts of things, it's a common misconception that you can logic someone out of their value system, but you really can't. You know, the, mm. the value system is rooted in subconscious frameworks which help us make sense of reality. And it, it's it's a code. It's a very, very deep code that's not in our conscious mind. It's deep, deep down. And, you know, you can't give someone 20 reasons not to be authoritarian and have them say, mm -hmm. hmm, yeah, okay, yeah, I see. Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll change. Um, because it's coded in much, much deeper than that. It's just not in the rational mind. Uh, so um, the best thing we can do is to understand where other people are at and appreciate that and use work like Graves' model to help us understand, you know, what is motivating them, uh, what they need, where they're at in the change process. And pretty much all the, the conflicts that the world has ever seen has come from people wanting to change other people to be like them, you know? Like, look at these people, they've, they've got the wrong God, they're not living the right way, they're breaking all the moral rules, they need to be like us, you know? <laughs> uh, mm, we, we can mm, fix them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a... That, that never works. If we look back at history, we can see it never works. Um, the only time when it kind of appears to work is when there's so much power applied that people have no choice but to bow down in the face of that power. But as soon as the power is removed, they go back to the way they used to be, you know, so it doesn't actually change people. Uh, and that's something that humanity's still got to learn. Um, you know, we're still yelling at each other, trying to change each other's opinions uh, and hoping that'll work when if we actually took notice of history, we'd see it done work. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I see it in the U.S. here more than ever with the political climate, with the election. You know, it's sort of like these two sides that both sort of expand on the same message, like you're saying, which is basically like there's something wrong about the what you think and how you feel, and you need to feel and think how I feel. And it seems like really ultimately it feels like it's an it's a sort of an obstacle that's an opportunity to expand our perspective to include both things um and is that sort of some of the drivers for the push to an integral layer to this like integral perspective is just the intense polarization sort of requires the need for uh, this expansion to include 
both, you know, all perspectives somehow? Yeah, I mean, uh, Layer 6, one of the key characteristics of it is that it's very capable of taking different perspectives. You know, it's it's kind of like has what they call the wisdom of the moccasins. It can put put itself in someone else's shoes and really start to appreciate what it must be like to be that person. It, mm-hmm. It's Like I said, it still has that inbuilt rejection factor of other people's values, though. Uh, so it can't fully appreciate what it's like to be in another value system, although it might be able to appreciate what it's like to be in a person in a particular scenario in life, you know, and, and have compassion for that. Um, but the what happens with this transition into second tier is that we reach the end of the dominance of the rational mind. So you can break down those layers into zones, the first one being the pre-rational zone, which is layers one, two, and three. So basic hunter-gatherer type stuff, um, traditional tribal and martial or warlike behavior is generally dominated by deep urges and instincts and strong emotions, okay? And so when you're dealing with people who are operating through those layers, rational arguments generally don't work very well because that's not what's driving them. You know, they'll listen and they'll understand, but at the end of the day, their deep code is saying, follow this urge, follow that instinct, you know, follow, follow that emotion. Uh, and that's what they're doing. And then layers uh, four, five, and six, which is your agricultural era, authoritarian, scientific, industrial, highly rational, materialistic, and then this emerging layer six, um, humanistic, network-centric. They're all still dominated by the rational mind. Um, so so they're looking you know, to use that rationality to, to change other people, as, as you've been saying. Layer six also is in a very tricky place because it's just about to reach the end of the usefulness of the rational mind. And in order to prepare the being to make that transition, what it needs to do is it needs to go back and revisit all the pre-rational stuff as well, just make, make sure everything's in order, you know, that, that everything's been finalized as much as possible, everything's been healed, all the trauma's been dealt with so that we've got a solid platform to make this huge leap from into second tier. And so poor old layer six is kind of like still dominated by the rational mind, it's trying to quieten that mind down and, you know, there's plenty, you know, there's a million like... Uh, spiritual courses and meditation classes trying to teach you to how to quieten the, the mind. Um, so it's trying to cope with that. It's also trying to cope with all these emotions coming up and it tends to get you know, somewhat easily overloaded by all of this data coming in from all of these both pre-rational and rational uh, senses in the body. Uh, and sometimes it can get quite lost, you know, with that overload of inputs and just not know what to do. And so that's where it just goes back to the, the, you know, I need to be around people that that I'm bonded with and who make me feel safe and that understand me, uh, and hence that key driver. But what happens as we get closer to the second tier transition is that the the usefulness of the rational mind for solving our problems starts to break down and does break down entirely. And so um, we go through that change process, which sometimes you know is called the dark night of the soul, where everything falls apart, everything that we've ever used to solve our problems doesn't seem to work anymore. We have to completely give up, fall apart, crash, uh, burn, and then somehow climb out of the wreckage. Um, mm-hmm. and, and in that wreckage, you know, in the, the heat of all that change is when our neural networks get rewired, our body chemistry balance changes, um, you know, new hormones come into play, those sorts of things. Uh, and what's on the other side of that is this direct knowing, 
it's this what you might call a kind of deep intuition sense uh, where stuff just comes to us and we can't really explain rationally where it comes from but we just know what's what's right uh, and um, you know that's that's the kind of prize on the other side of the hill that that we're all heading towards at the moment um, and it, it's it's useless to try and solve the world's problems with the rational mind at, at right now I mean I, I guess useless is probably a bit of a harsh word it's not useless it's helpful with problems that are of a certain level of complexity that allows them to be to be um, solved with rationality but yeah. as we've been talking about there are a whole bunch of problems including you know getting on with other people where that rationality just doesn't cut it you know mm-hmm. uh, so we need to we need to understand our limitations those of us who have got the sort of um, the broader outlook at the moment and the understanding of what's going on in the terrain that we're traversing need to understand that okay some of the things aren't going to get solved right now and it's actually useless putting our rational minded effort into trying to solve that because you know that's that's good. Some people need to be doing that right now, but uh, for those of us who can see further into the future, there are more important things that we need to focus on. And one of those, of course, is helping to support the shift of consciousness. I mean, ultimately, that's the biggest thing that we can do is to uh, support people who are ready to make the shift to be, to be moving from first tier into second tier because that's where all the solutions of our, our most mm. serious issues, serious problems are going to come from. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've found... For myself over the past however long it's been especially the past year or so um that my you know i'm i'm i resonate with some of the layer seven things you're talking about but i feel like i'm still pretty dominated by my rational mind but i recognize that in certain areas it just is obvious that it requires some something more you know a move beyond that because you a perfect example is the realm of, and I think we find this in a lot of different areas, but the realm of diet, for example, uh, you know, when I was real strong into a layer five, I was trying to find the perfect diet and all the evidence and the science behind it and all of these things. And the, the further I've gone on the track of trying to find a diet that is really right for me, um, the more you find evidence uh, opposing evidence for any single type of food or diet. Uh, eggs are great for you. Oh no, eggs are terrible for you. This is great for you. This is terrible for you. And there just starts to push you to find some other source of, you know, wisdom within you to guide you as to what you should eat, you know, because, uh, these sort of empirically derived forms of information just seem to be, um, more and more complex and sort of more and more, uh, uh, you know, harder to really pin down as to what's true. Yeah, that's a great example. You know, and if you if you look at that example through the different layers, I mean, layer four, the authoritarian always looks to a higher authority for a list of rules on how to live life. Okay, so from layer four, it would be okay. Um, the person, the authority that I respect, you know, and it could be a god that I worship, says. 
in the scriptures, here are the things that I should eat. So there's no choice. There's only one right way to do it in layer four. And then layer five, of course, looks for the best. It discards that higher authority and says, no, actually, I can figure it out for myself and I can make it better. You know, I can make it the absolute best and be most successful. And so that's where you get all these, you know, absolute best diet that you really need to be uh, beyond mm-hmm. uh, kind of lists coming from. And then in layer six, because the focus, it shifts away from, from my personal success, how can I be the best, to uh, that need for deep human bonding. It's like, okay, uh, here's my network of people that I really trust who I'm bonded with. You know, what do they all say about what they're eating at the moment? And, uh, you know, they'll sit in a circle and say, you know, what are you eating? What are you eating? And everybody reports what they're eating. And then the solution comes from that networked uh, process, right? Mm. But then when we go into second tier uh, we part of part of what we're doing in layer six as preparation for second tier is is connecting with our body um, mm-hmm. you know which we've pushed to all sorts of limits in layer five but not really understood damage that we're doing in the process you know like with the planet <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and so in layer six we're reconnecting with nature we're also reconnecting with our body and we're starting to listen to our body and we're we're working with that process of like you know casting out through our network you know what do we need to be doing right now and how are you doing it uh, and learning from that but then eventually as we start to transition towards second tier we're, we're connecting with our body to the point where our body's actually speaking to us and we're getting direct knowing coming from our body you know uh, and we know that okay I can't eat that because when I eat that, I can feel my liver complaining, you know, or something like that. You know, it's so that's the that's the kind of space that you're you sound like you're pushing into at the moment is getting those direct messages and feeling that. Why don't I feel um, so good this morning? Kind of feeling, and then you think about okay, oh, maybe it's because I ate or drank that last night. Oh yeah, and and you know you start to put all those. Um, bits of information together and you'll eventually in second tier get to the point where you've got immediate communication from your body that something's right or it's not right Mm -hmm. uh, which is then guiding your diet and behavior yeah sounds like something to look forward to (laughs) because you know it's just I think um, it just feels like I can sense that I can I can feel bits of what I feel like you describe in the integral sort of the layer seven, um, the layer seven sort of perception and worldview and, and coping capacity. Um, but I still feel very much like there's a lot of processing of different things going on and things yet to be healed. And, um, and so it's like almost you can see a certain, light at the end of a tunnel but you know that there's just certain territory that you have to traverse no matter what you can't just skip yeah to this certain spot yeah absolutely it's a process and it's just it's also you know one that requires patience it's just a matter of understanding it. and when, when you've got a kind of a structure like graves's model to to inform you then you can say you can start to make deductions like you just have that okay I can see that I'm going through this process I haven't got all the answers yet but I kind of understand you know where I'm headed and I kind of understand what might be next for me. And that's mm. probably about as, as uh, good as it gets right at the moment. The other interesting thing about second tier is that um, it's not locked into operating from just one value system, but it's it's kind of like a shapeshifter. And if there's a problem that can be solved by layer six processes, then 
you'll use that, you know, or if there's a problem that can be solved by layer one or layer two, you'll use that. So it's, it's you're matching the complexity of the issue with the complexity of the solution and just, you know, dynamically moving through the layers as you need to. You've been listening to the Future Sense podcast brought to you by the Nonprofit Agency for Advanced Development of Integrative Intelligence, part of the RD Mesh Foundation. You can find us online at futuresense.it where you can subscribe for free and also link to our social media accounts on Twitter and Facebook.